Man, I'm, I'm, I'm really hungry for the Lord, you guys. I'm really hungry for Him. And um, we're just going to continue to really contend, if you will, over these next weeks and months and however long it takes just to see God move in our midst in a newfound way, just to see and receive everything He has. This morning, I want to... I want to actually bring you some of the thoughts I shared last week. I spoke last week in uh, the Cleveland area to um, one of our larger churches in our district. They really want to partner with us in going to Nicaragua this summer, and it was a strategic opportunity to speak to their church and kind of uh, promote the trip this summer. And uh, the title of my message is On Mission with God. And I want to start by just doing something a little different. And this is what I felt the Lord leading me for last week, and I want to do it with you guys today. And quite honestly, a good bit of my message came to me in the middle of the night. I'd go to sleep, sleep soundly, and then in the middle of the night, wake up. And I was almost like the Lord was preaching much of this message to me, some new thoughts even that the Lord gave to me. And I just, I just started last week with uh, what has become our theme scripture this year as a church, and you'll notice our banners, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. And I want to read that to you one more time, and would you just close your eyes with me for a moment? I just want that verse even, and the power and the beauty of it, and the significance of that verse, it's so significant because it's really talking about knowing God and then making God known. And I really believe if you know him intimately, you'll long to make him known brilliantly to the world. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Would you just let that settle into your heart for a moment? Lord, we are in a season where we want to be still and know you. We find ourselves in a place where we're just desperate for you. We're seeing the world change around us rapidly in a direction that is so disconcerting. We really long for hunger in our day or for revival in our day. Give us a revival in our day, God. May we know you and the beauty of your character, the beauty of your holiness. May we as your people once again come back to desiring to be holy. 
So pure in heart, your word says that we'll see God. Yet we live in a day and a time where it seems that people have forgotten even how to blush. Sin is so rampant and even the church is caught up in so much sin and compromise. God, we want to know you. We want to draw closer to you. We want to repent of everything that holds us back from entering into a deeper, deeper intimacy with you. And Lord, there's just no way on earth that we can know you deeply and not want to make you known to the world around us. So God, we choose to be still and know that you're God. And we want to be a part of exalting you in this earth and among the nations. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you about a defining moment in my life, two of them actually. One happened in 1986 when I went on my very first mission trip. It wrecked me. It wrecked me. At the very um, changing of one year to the next on New Year's Eve, I was at the altar with a young man I'd worked with all week long and I'd been sharing the gospel with and I led him to Christ right as the new year came about. It was so precious and so touching and so powerful for me. Just a few months later, I led my first mission trip in 1987 to Monterey, Mexico. Never forget it. God did some amazing things on that trip. I'm just an absolute greenhorn in every way, just passionate for Jesus. And God showed up, and God just absolutely amazed us with his goodness and his kindness. They were showing the Jesus film in a little colonia in Mexico there, and this team that had brought the Jesus film and set it up had no one to preach the message at the close, and they asked me. I couldn't believe it. I'm just 21, I think, at that point. I was nervous as a cat. I... I got to that little colonia, that little, that little bitty Mexican village, and there were hundreds of people watching that film, and the darkness came, and I'm, I'm just traipsing all around that plaza. I'm walking all around that plaza. I'm so nervous. I can't, I just can't even, you know, quite settle down. I've never preached to this many people in my life ever. And um, as, I'm, as I'm pacing that plaza, God just keeps saying to me, wherever you put your foot, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Wherever you put your foot, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll never forget as the movie closed and I got up in front of all these people. When I gave the altar call, I, I literally thought I was going to be smashed. They just rushed to the front. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never experienced anything like it. So many moments on that trip, just, they just ruined me for the ordinary. See, sometimes God breaks our heart in order to fix our vision. Thank you, Vera.
Sometimes God breaks our hearts in order to fix our vision. You know, I, I grew up in a really, a really small family. I've told you guys about this along the way. I, I grew up, I don't know any other way to put it, but very, very selfish and self-oriented and self-focused. I was the, I like to, you know, jokingly call it the only begotten son of Tom and Alma Joe Lamont. And not only that, my mom was an only child. So literally I was the only child of an only child. And kind of life was my grandma, grandpa, my mom and dad, and me. And guess who was in the center of that circle? Me. And my grandmother and grandfather and my mom and dad, they just kind of raised me in such a way that I was the center of their world and my world was really small and really selfish. And here in 1986, God introduces me to a third world country and a third world people and then leads me to go back to another third world country and a third world people and I've been going back ever since and God's been using it to just chip away, chip away, chip away at my selfishness, my self-orientation, my comfort zone, you name it. He's used it to chip away and there's been a lot to chip away in my life. God broke my heart in a million pieces and he's been using it to fix my vision and align it I believe with his vision and his heart and I want to tell you about that this morning there's the country of Nicaragua by the way the pretty yellow country there you'll see Lake Nicaragua it's one of the largest lakes in the world 300 islands in that lake Nicaragua is actually the largest of all the land masses in Central America you know Central America connects North America with South America it's a beautiful, beautiful little isthmus of land there. I've been to most of those countries now. Let's see, I've been to, I've actually been to all of them now. And um, Nicaragua is an amazing place. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, because this, this is another defining moment that happened in my life in 1998. I was sitting in front of my fireplace on a really cold, wintry night, November of 1998, and I was planning to go to Mexico again. I'd gone to Mexico, I think, 11 years in a row. I'd been in Mexico on New Year's. Tracy and I had leading teams, and I'm planning to go again. And I'm sitting there in front of my fire, and uh, the TV's on in the room. I'm not really paying that much attention to it, but the news report comes on, and they're talking about a hurricane, Hurricane Mitch, that had swept through and hit the coast here of Nicaragua and had literally wiped out uh, thousands and thousands of homes, killed several thousand people. It was a horrible, horrible disaster. And I'm just telling you, I don't know any other way to say it, but I'm sitting there and I hear very clearly the still small voice of God on the inside of me clearly say to me, I want you to go to Nicaragua. I'd never been there. I didn't know anybody there. I had no connections to go there. Um, called up Fourscore Missions and said, hey, I feel like God's calling me to go to Nicaragua and make a difference in the midst of what's happened with the hurricane. They said, we had somebody else call just uh, today also. Let me connect them with you and uh, you guys can maybe, you know, work together to go and uh, Funny story, right? It was a guy that I had just become really good friends with 
from the West Coast, Olympia, Washington. He and I got together, put a team together. We went to a little northern village in Nicaragua called Alcotal. In the midst of that hurricane, the rain had come so heavy that literally this, this church was made out of adobe mud block. It washed away in just 24 hours. The whole church is washed away. And we put our sights to rebuilding that church and I was down in the foundation with a shovel digging, and right beside me was a man named Juan Ruiz, beautiful Nicaraguan brother in Christ, and um, he just passed away here just a few weeks ago. Uh, for been married 62 years, I believe it was. He was the founder of the Foursquare Church in Nicaragua, and he he actually is the man who who kept Foursquare alive and going through all of the challenges of the years, including the communist revolution that happened there. For some of you, you haven't heard a lot about Nicaragua. For some of you, you have, but you know, the last four out of five years, we've not been able to go because of things like um, the civil war that broke out in 1998, I believe it was, and then covid which hit, and we're hoping to go back this summer. I've got several people from the church I was at last week that are hoping to go. I've got a team in Washington State hoping to go and help lead our, our medical teams. But I thought it'd be good just to kind of give you guys a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of what God's doing there, what's happened over the years, and just kind of bring it all forward a little bit. Nicaragua is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Do you know that? Majority of the people in Nicaragua live on less than $2 a day. Can you even imagine that? It's been devastated by natural disasters and then corrupt leaders. It's known as the land of lakes and volcanoes. It's an absolutely beautiful place. I think there's 24, 25 volcanoes, several of which are active. The current quote-unquote democratically elected president is Daniel Ortega, who's the former communist dictator and revolutionary. That's an interesting one. Our Foursquare movement has, at this point, approximately about 90 churches and many more in the pipeline. So we've seen over the years a, a pretty incredible growth happen there, good things happening. This week was the convention. I was supposed to be there preaching, but uh, just a lot going on. I decided to stay back from that one. But I want you just to see, and I want to just share with you a few of the things that have happened over the years, because when you start to think about it, some really powerful things have occurred. This, I just love some of these pictures, and thank you to Craig, our, our dear brother who's been with me and taken some of these amazing shots. We've had great teams. I think five times we've had a team of over 125 people there. Pastor Bird, I, I hope he's in the room and can see this, but this goes way back. This is he and I celebrating Christmas with our orphans in the early days. You guys know we worked really hard and built a pretty sizable orphanage. You should see it now. It was the site of this week's national convention. It's now the National Convention Center for all of Foursquare Nicaragua. It looked absolutely beautiful. I call this slide, uh, check out my new sunglasses. But anyway, uh, I had to show this one because these two young men are so precious to me. This is Hector, who was one of our original orphans. And our orphanage got shut down by Daniel Ortega, and we lost track of Hector. Wouldn't you know, when he aged out of the system, he came back to find us. 
And the last time I was there, he brought me a painting, and it was so touching. And he now lives and works with our church there because that's the place he found love and found Christ. This is my Nicaraguan son, John, who I'm really proud of. Bill will see yours here in just a minute, okay? Bill's over there shaking his head. But here's, here's Bill's son, Juan, way back. These guys are, are big now, and they're, they're, they're grown young men. But it's really cool what's happened there. You can see Bill just in the smile and the joy on his face. The Chadies have just loved this young man through the years. And every time I go, they send a gift, and it's just fun to watch him grow up. Now they're friends on Facebook even. This is at the church there. Talk about some revival services. Man, I have worshiped there until I just was absolutely covered in sweat. This is a precious picture to me. And I can tell you so many stories, guys. I, I'm keeping an eye on the time here. But we've been a part of Bible distribution in the nation. God's called us to put a Bible in every home in Nicaragua that doesn't have one. We've given already now well over 10,000 Bibles out to over 10,000 homes. Nicaragua is about the same size as the state of Kentucky, so imagine what that would be like trying to get to every house. I'll, I'll never forget how God spoke to some of these young people in the early days when we started going to Nicaragua. And this young man, Ron Deuce, got a, got a vision and a dream. We were teaching and training dramas and things, and he got a dream from the Lord. What if, what if I was to take these dramas that Pastor Jeff and the team teach us, and what if, if we were to go to every single school in Nicaragua and preach the gospel? The last I'd heard, Ron Deuce had led teams to over and, and had preached the gospel in person to over 30,000 children in Nicaragua. That's pretty good, isn't it? I've been, I'm not kidding when I say this, and there's people in the room that can verify this. I've been in schools with Ron Deuce and his team, sometimes five, six, seven hundred kids. And the Holy Spirit would come as they were sharing the gospel and the, the room would be so quiet you could hear a pin drop. And if you looked out, you'd see every teacher crying and even many of the students weeping. The Holy Spirit just moving. Lots, lots and lots of kids giving their hearts to Christ. I can tell you story after story after story of people's lives that have been changed because they went to Nicaragua with us. Mary, who used to be my secretary years ago, went to Nicaragua with me to help administrate. And guess what? She became a full-time missionary to Ecuador, met her husband there. By the way, if you're single, this is a pretty good way to find your spouse. Josiah, same way, right? One of the young men from our Berea church where Pastor Bert preached last week. Josiah came to Nicaragua with us. God called him to missions. He ended up in Costa Rica as one of our full-time Foursquare Missions International missionaries, met his wife 
who is a doctor, and they've been serving now for many years there. Paul and his team from Grace Covenant, one of the largest church, the largest church in our whole district, their whole missions program started by them coming to Nicaragua and kind of learning the model. Naomi and Steve, who used to be a part of this church, Naomi and Steve came to Nicaragua with us. God got a hold of their hearts. This is a cool story, right? They decided they were going to buy a home in Nicaragua because they wanted to continue ministry to the children there. And they actually were featured on an episode of House Hunters International. Anybody ever seen that show? They have an amazing, beautiful base there now. It's really first class, and they are continually ministering to hundreds of children, not only discipling them, but also providing medical care and food for them. It's really cool. My dear friend Jared Mueller from Huntington Beach, California, came with us on two trips. God got a hold of his heart, his wife's heart, Kelly, and... Um, they are now full-time four-score missionaries in El Salvador. And not only that, but Jared is now the director over all of Central America for four-square. It all started in Nicaragua. My dear friend Durant, who serves on the missions team that I work with, or on the team that I work with, the district team, he was there with me in Nicaragua. I'll never forget it. He was, he was sitting on, with his back up against the wall in one of the buildings you saw there a bit ago, holding one of our children. And God spoke to Durant and said, I want you to adopt. He went back home. He found out that he couldn't necessarily do it from Nicaragua, but Colombia was open to adoption. He and his wife adopted five Colombian children. Can you believe that? I can tell you about Lindsay, who went with us early on. She's the first person to get bit by a scorpion on one of my teams. She was reaching into the medical bag, and a scorpion got her. She's now a full-time missionary in a part of the world I can't tell you exactly because of the security reasons. It's in what we call Minica, Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia, one of the most unreached parts of the world. She's there full-time now. I can tell you about Scott, my friend that we support through the, through the Harvest Project, how he came along to Nicaragua with his father-in-law, and God got a hold of his heart, and he now is focused on preaching the gospel to the unreached people groups of Niger in Western Africa. I could tell you about my friend Dwight, who's been here, who's also a part of the Harvest Project. God got a hold of Dwight's heart. God got a hold of Dwight's kids. They're now the head of what, what we call the Jim Foundation in Uganda. Dwight stepped down from being a lawyer in upstate New York, and he now raises money for these special needs kids in Africa. I could tell you about Bethany, who went with us, who is now a full-time four-square missionary in Costa Rica. I could tell you about Jose and Marissa here in the church, who were not even married when they were on our teams in Nicaragua. And now they're full-time missionaries. They're in Egypt right as we speak. I could tell you about Cody and Heather, who will be here in just a couple of weeks as they're getting ready to launch to, to uh, Hawaii. I could tell you about so many others who felt a call of God to be mobilized into the world for the glory of God because it all started with one step of obedience in listening to the Lord and going. The Great Commission is the foundation of the whole story of the Bible. 
If, if you were to simplify, if you were to simplify the 66 books and look at what the common theme is, the common thread, it's really God loves people and he's been on a, a quest to win back the people who've been lost through sin. It's the great commission, the great mission of God. He actually calls us to be a part of it. It, it starts, by the way, not in the New Testament. The Great Commission starts in the Old Testament with Abraham. Actually, Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, when God says to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. These words, I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing are really important. God cuts a covenant with Abraham. You and I, we're all, we, we talk about this children of Father Abraham, right? We used to sing a song and, and dance around and all that kind of thing. Father Abraham. This is huge. This is the beginning of God's redemptive plan to reach back and take back that which was lost to the enemy and to sin. And it was through this man, Abraham, that God would, would, would bless a nation and a people. And then that Jesus would come out of in order to, to recapture the world, to, to show his love to the world five times. In the book of Genesis, this very verse is repeated because it's so important on the heart of God. God keeps saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but it's in order for you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, but it's for you to be a blessing. And it's for you to be a blessing to all the peoples on the earth. Now, I want you to notice that that word in Hebrew and in Greek, literally means something other than, than, than just the word nations, okay? Oftentimes, we see the word nation, and we think about a geopolitical place like the United States or Canada or Mexico. But when you see peoples or nation in Scripture, in, in the Greek, it's the word ethnos. And there's this command from God, panta ta ethne, okay? Preach the gospel to all nations. It means people groups. It means tongues, it means tribes, it means languages, it means people who are held together ethno-linguistically through a common culture and language. So in the world today, and there's varying numbers on how many geopolitical countries we have, somewhere around 214, but in the world today, if you, if you pare it down and look at the people groups in the world today, there's over 17,400. So when God's saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but I want you to be a blessing to all the peoples on earth. He's literally talking about the 17,400 peoples on the face of the earth. Now, you know, five times, five times, keep that in mind. He repeats to Abraham the importance of this covenant and how he wants him to be a blessing to the peoples of the earth. Matthew 28, I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but this is commonly considered the Great Commission in the New Testament. If I were to ask you, give you a little Bible quiz, this is probably where you'd point. But it's only one of five times that Jesus gives the Great Commission in the New Testament. Did you know that? I find it interesting, right? By the way, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is the most quoted passage of the Bible in the Bible. Did you know that? 
Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I'll bless you to be a blessing to all the nations. That's the most quoted passage of the Bible in the Bible. Five times, God reminds Abraham of this covenant promise. It's pretty important. And now five times, and I'm going to show it to you here this morning, Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples. Five times. Must be pretty important to him, wouldn't you say? And it's really interesting because in all five occasions, and let me tell you when they happen, it's very interesting, just so you, so you know the context. It's right after Jesus' resurrection and before his ascension. How long is he on earth there? 40 days, right? 40 days, the Lord, after he's resurrected from the dead, he keeps showing up in places, sometimes very unexpectedly, and he has some pretty important things to say to his disciples particularly. But he appears to hundreds of people, Scripture says. 40 days, he keeps appearing. Five times, okay, and this is hugely important for you to get this this morning because I bet you've never thought of it this way before. Five times in five different places on five different occasions with five different themes, if you will, Jesus appears to his disciples and says to them, I'm sending you now to the world to preach the gospel, to tell everyone everywhere that I love them. And that's kind of my little paraphrase of it. Matthew 28, the most commonly known Great Commission passage, you know it, Matthew 28, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. By the way, before he gives that commission, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. The theme of this, by the way, this is on a mountaintop in Galilee. And this is actually the one we generally look at. It's right before Jesus is ascended. And really the theme is, I want you to go with my authority. I'm commissioning you with my authority. The only place I know really that, that would maybe help us understand the idea of commissioning is the military, right? S soldiers, especially officers, are commissioned with authority from the United States military to, to fulfill a role and to be over others and to have power and authority, right? And Jesus is doing this with his disciples. I'm commissioning you. With authority, because all authority has been given to me now, that I've died on the cross, and I have conquered hell, and I've raised from the dead, and now I've taken back everything the enemy's stolen, and all authority is mine, and now you go preach the gospel to all creation and make disciples. Mark chapter 16 in a different place, in a different time. Here's what he says to them, right? He says to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And he goes into telling some pretty phenomenal signs that will occur as the gospel is preached, okay? It's not them running after signs. It's signs following them. Pretty important distinction in my opinion. 
miracles. Go and signs will follow. Luke chapter 24. Here's, here's the passage in Luke chapter 24. Very, very interesting. He said to them, everything that must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses... The prophets and the Psalms, the Word of God, right? The Word of God. And then, and then listen to this, really cool. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. What's happening there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to surmise that what's happening there is he's helping them connect all the dots all the way from Genesis chapter 12 to this moment right now. And he tells them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. In repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, all ethnos, all peoples, beginning at Jerusalem. Your witnesses of these things. I'm, sending, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with the power on high. One of the emphases here is wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. But go with the power of God's living word and preach the word of God and make the message clear to the people. And then John chapter 20, here's what it says. It says, Jesus, uh, this is a cool one. I love this one. You get a kick out of this. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus just comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. They're in a locked room, hiding out, scared, spitless, and all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. Doesn't come through the door. He just shows up, man. He's right there in their midst. Can't wait to experience that heavenly body. How about you? I mean, we just show up. You know, we don't have to use doors anymore. Won't that be cool? I think I'll go, you know, visit my, my friend Gary. Boom, here I am right there in Gary's living room, you know. Hey, Gary. Uh, just, you know, pretty cool. Anyway, he says, peace be with you. And then again he says, peace be with you. They must have needed a repeat of that one because they were probably a little bit taken back. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins... Their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. How many of you remember that part of the Great Commission? Receive the Holy Spirit, but go with grace and peace and forgiveness. And then Acts chapter 1, you know this one, right? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, go, be my witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go with the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to get. Five times over 40 days in five different places with five different focuses, but one, one central theme. And you could kind of summarize it like this. Tell everyone, everywhere, I love them. And he just repeats this and repeats this and repeats this and repeats this, and repeats this. So see, it isn't just this one standalone passage in Matthew chapter 28. No. It's five times. Why? A couple of thoughts. 
Sometimes we're a little thick-headed. We don't always get it on the first try. Sometimes my wife will say something to me and my mind is somewhere else so much, I got to kind of get out of that to get over here. Huh? What would you say, honey? What? What? And then I have to have her repeat it to me. And then I'll get it. Hopefully. If not, there will be consequences. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Five times Jesus says this to his disciples. How many of you know the disciples were a lot like us? They were kind of thick-headed. They didn't always get things the first time. Can I just say Jesus was going to absolutely make sure they didn't miss this. And not only is he repeating it five times, he's building on it. He's building on it. He's building on it. He's building on it. Now, I don't think there's any way getting around this, guys. But Jesus' final words should always and in all things be our first priority. Especially when you realize he went out of his way to repeat this five times to his followers. Let me just say it this way. Is anything more important to Jesus? Is there something else he'd rather have you do with your life? If you want the power of God and the blessings of God on your life, you have to care about what God cares about the most. That is why Christ came. Now, let me ask another question this morning. Why hasn't it happened in 2,000 years? You heard Doug Cobb just a couple of weeks ago talk about kind of the progress that's happened. But why has it taken us almost 2,000 years? This could be, by the way, the generation that sees the Great Commission fulfilled. That would be absolutely amazing. I'm praying that we will be. And I'm also praying that God will help us strategically be a part of that. I think there's, there's two big reasons. They're, they're the only reasons that I can really come up with. And, you know, I, the first is just our own self-centered lives and our own self-focused faith. Chew on that a little bit. I, you know, we're very individualistic in America, right? And I, we just get this self-focused faith where it's just all about us, more blessing for us. <laughs> we know your best life now, but we don't necessarily know Christ's commission to his church. You know, one of the big organizations, Pew or, or Barna, just came out that only 17% of Christians in churches today even know what the Great Commission is. That's how far we've gotten away from Jesus' final words and first priority. We, we've turned Christianity in so many ways into sin management and personal blessings. No wonder we get so bored with our faith because we've made it all about us instead of Christ's mandate to the world. When you step out of your comfort zone and start sharing your faith and start going in his name, it's the greatest adventure ever. Three things. I, I'm, 
I don't have really time to cover them right now, but three things. Missions isn't about crossing the seas. It's about seeing the cross. The cross equals love. Jesus didn't die for you just to forgive your sins. He died for you to make you dangerous. He died to change your life. He wants you dangerous to the enemy. He wants you living a life that's all about his purposes and plans in the world. Worship is ultimate. Missions is not. One day, one day there'll be no more missions programs. One day there'll be more, no more missions, need for missions in the earth because we'll all be singing a new song to the Lord. I've gone to the back of the book. I know how the story ends. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to sing a new song to the Lord and it's going to be beautiful and awesome and people from every tribe, language and, and nation will be there because they've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And then lastly, our God's a global God. John R. Stott, the great theologian and pastor said it this way, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. God's ultimate intention is to redeem people from every people group to be an eternal chorus of his glory. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me to be a part. Would you pray about going with us to Nika this summer? Will you accept his invitation? We're going back July 5th through the 14th. You know, I have other opportunities for missions along the way to, to places like the Congo and Nairobi and Cuba and other things. You're invited to those too. But I want to make sure we as a church, we've got one arm around our community, loving this community, showing Christ to this community, but also one arm around the world. Amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me for a moment? God, you've extended an invitation to each and every one of us to be a part of your great commission that every person on the face of this earth might know about your amazing love for them. And yet we're alive right now with 8 billion people on the face of this, uh, this planet and at least 3.5 billion of them have hardly even had a chance to hear your name. There's a great injustice in that. God, show us how to strategically be a part of what you're doing in the earth, a, a part of your heart for every people in this earth. Help us to be a part of your great commission in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Would you stand with me today? Could you give the Lord praise this morning? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Lord, go with us. Make your face shine upon us and let your light shine through us in Jesus' name. Amen.